listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. On August 21st, 2017, a shadow 110 kilometers wide, or about 60.35 miles wide, traveled across North America, blocking out the sun for up to two and a half minutes. And life continued on. Many people didn't even notice. That's because for the majority of people, unless they were wearing protective eclipse glasses, the solar eclipse was not viewable. This could have been for a number of reasons, including cloudy weather, But for the majority of people, the eclipse went unnoticed because the total eclipse of the sun, at which point the light of the sun is entirely and noticeably blocked, was only viewable in the path of the shadow of the moon, or totality. For the lucky few that were in the path of totality, the moon took about an hour to reach the point of totality, at which point the moon's shadow completely covered the light of the sun. Before the point of totality, though, noticeable changes began to occur in the surrounding landscape. Shadows got... weird, stretching to their sunset proportions despite the day appearing to be as bright as usual. Birds began to flock into trees, and lizards scurried from the rocks, anticipating some dusk bugs to hunt. Depending on where you were, it also got colder. For central Oregon, a high desert ecosystem, The day-to-night temperature can drop significantly, and by the time the moon covered the sun entirely, the temperature had dropped about 11 degrees. Automatic lights came on, and, for at least a minute, the entire sky became as dark as night, the only source of light a thin halo of white-blue light, which is pretty cool in 2017. Less cool, though, if you're an ancient hunter-gatherer, and the big ball of light in the sky is just gone. And you don't know when it'll be back. Because, as I'm sure you know, total solar eclipses are not a new phenomena. They've happened throughout the world, throughout history, for as long as we've had the moon, which is a good deal longer than the existence of humanity. And, like any other natural phenomena, cultures all across the world have stories to explain it, which leads to some pretty cool myths. So, this episode, let's go across the world and find out where the sun went. In many myths, the total solar eclipse is the sun getting eaten by seemingly evil creatures, who do not care if humanity no longer has a light source. A good example of this is found in Vietnamese and Chinese mythology. In Vietnam, an evil spirit that takes the form of a giant toad or frog is responsible for swallowing the sun, and in China it's a gigantic dragon. Luckily, in both cultures, humanity can intervene and save our precious light bulb. In both Vietnamese and Chinese mythology, it was thought that making a lot of noise during a solar eclipse would scare the creature devouring the sun so badly that they would release the sun and try again another time. Which is honestly pretty wonderful. The idea that a gigantic dragon from space has no problems devouring a sun, but humanity making a little noise by playing drums and banging pots and pans is so terrifying that the dragon decides, maybe later, and runs away. Many people still make noise during eclipses to scare away the creature eating our celestial bodies, including, notably, 
the director of the Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles, California. Apparently, every lunar eclipse, the director of the Griffith Observatory, E.C. Krupp, puts on a wizard robe and leads the public on a noise-making procession around the front lawn of the observatory, banging pots and pans to chase away the creature eating the moon. Krupp has been quoted as saying, we're always successful. And with the moon still in the sky, it's hard to argue with his track record. In some cultures, though, banging pots and pans is simply not going to cut it, especially where canines are involved. In Norse mythology, giant wolves play a not insignificant supporting role in the apocalypse, with the wolf child of Loki, Fenrir, slated to eat the chief of gods, Odin, and Fenrir's children, Skull and Hati, slated to eat the sun and the moon. The siblings, Skull, one who mocks, and Hati, one who hates, are no slouches about practicing for their roles in Ragnarok, and so they continuously chase their quarry across the sky. Solar eclipses are believed to be Skull catching Sol, the female representation of the sun, while lunar eclipses are caused by Hati catching Mani, the male representation of the moon. So far, both wolves have let their respective celestial beings go after a brief period of time, but you never know when the hunt might be over. In the mythology of Korea, there are also two canines, but this time they're two dogs just trying to be good boys. The legend goes that of the many realms of heaven, there was one realm called Gamang Nara, which was perpetually bathed in darkness. The king of Gamang Nara grew tired of always being in darkness, and decided his realm could use the light of a sun and a moon. With the nearest available sun and moon belonging to the realm of mortals, the king sent a bulgay, a gigantic fiery hound, to fetch the sun from the mortal realm and bring it to the dark world. The bulgay obediently went to the realm of mortals and seized the sun in its jaws. Unfortunately for the good dog just trying to do its best, the sun was too hot and burned its mouth, and the bulgay yelped and was forced to let go returning to the dark world with its tail between its legs. The king was determined, though, that if he could not have the sun, at least he could have some light from the moon, and so he sent out another, fiercer bulgay to retrieve the moon. This second bulgay was presumably more fiery, so the king was confident that the dog would have no problem with the weaker heat of the moon. Unfortunately for the second good boy, the moon is not hot, but cold. The poor dog bit down on the moon, and it was so cold that their mouth froze, forcing the dog to let go of the moon. With the worst case of brain freeze dog kind has ever seen, the second bulgay returned to the king of the dark world empty pod. The king is nothing if not persistent, though, and so every once in a while he sends one of his dogs out to retrieve the sun or the moon, and they bite down on the heavenly bodies, causing a lunar or solar eclipse, which always ends when the sun gets too hot or the moon too cold. In other cultures, the moon and the sun play a bit of a more active role in their eclipses. In the mythology of the Pomo, a Native American people who live in the northwestern United States, the sun gets into a fight with a bear. It's unclear who started the fight, but in a perfect example of why not to start fights with bears, the bear actually takes a bite out of the sun, plunging the world into darkness. The sun admits defeat, and the bear is satisfied with this resolution of their conflict but apparently not satisfied with just fighting one celestial body. The bear then goes after the moon, and takes a bite out of it too, causing a lunar eclipse. Interestingly, 
The bear immediately going after the other celestial body, the moon, is thought to have been the Pomo people's way of explaining why a lunar eclipse always happens about two weeks before or after a solar eclipse. Hindu mythology has the sun and the moon starting a fight too, though this time with a demon. The story goes that a demon named Rahu disguised himself as a god in order to steal a drink of the elixir that grants gods immortality. The demon sneaks past the other gods, but the sun and the moon see what the demon is up to, and report him to the god Vishnu just as the demon lifts a cup of elixir to his lips. Vishnu immediately decapitates the demon to prevent him from becoming immortal. However, Rahu had already started to drink the elixir, and so as a result, his body died, but his head became immortal. Understandably furious that his plan was found out before his whole body could be immortal, Rahu now spends all of his time as a newly immortal floating head, chasing the sun and the moon and trying to eat them. Sometimes he succeeds in catching them, and swallows the sun or the moon whole. But, because he has no throat, the sun or the moon just slides out the bottom of his head, and the chase begins all over again. It's not all mouth stuff, though. In the mythology of the Bata Maliba, in Togo and Benin in Africa, eclipses happen when the sun and the moon start fighting. During the gradual darkening of the skies, people meet with other people within their community and resolve conflicts and old feuds to encourage the sun and the moon to stop fighting. After seeing that even mortals can end their old fights, the humbled sun and moon make up and continue on their respective heavenly trips across the sky. Sometimes, though, they're not exactly fighting. In some North American cultures, the eclipse was seen as a union, and the planets and stars that become visible during a solar eclipse were seen as the birth of new planets and stars. Which is somewhat ironic, as many cultures to this day believe solar eclipses are bad for young children and pregnant women. Apparently, even this year, the Griffith Observatory received dozens of calls asking about the danger of the solar eclipse to pregnant women and their unborn children. Luckily, like all the rest, the danger of solar eclipses to pregnant women is just another myth. That's going to do it this week for What's Eating the Sun. If you want to devour knowledge of solar eclipses like Skull Devours the Sun, take a look at the show notes for more. Musical score and intro and outro are done by our presiding bard, Scott Ethington. If you like the music, don't wait until the next solar eclipse. Find more of his work at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster. <laughs>